being able to reflect on your own life. The story goes that a newspaper asked G.K. Chesterton to respond to a man about the suffering in the world. They wanted him to respond to this person who had written to them about the suffering in the world. The man wrote, what is wrong with the world? And he wrote back, dear sir, I am sincerely G.K. Chesterton. And that is so, so true. So, so few words, so profound a statement. You know, I've said in the past that self-reflection is one of the greatest gifts that God can give to us. One of the greatest gifts that God can bestow upon us. And this morning, uh, I want to I talk about that in greater detail. So before we get going, I kind of want to lay a foundation for what I want to talk about here this morning. What do I want to discuss? Because like this letter to the editor, this man had written, like this letter about, you know, why is there suffering in the world? What is wrong with the world? We are going to get that same question asked of us as believers. People are going to come to us and they're going to ask, why is there suffering in the world? Now, we spent we spent a few weeks driving down into the the root of this at the very beginning of our sermon series. We talked about suffering for for a few weeks, but I want to revisit it this morning. I want to revisit it this morning because it's so important. I want to come at it from a different perspective, a, a different angle. I believe that we were all created, every single one of us is created in the image of God. But because of the fall... We are all in a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual battle going on in our lives because, you know, like I said, God has created us in his image. But then we have this spiritual battle going on. The question is, will we reflect Jesus Christ in our lives? Will we fulfill the purpose for which God has created us? Will we fulfill God's will for our lives or will we Allow ourselves, allow ourselves to be corrupted and become a lesser version of the person that God has created us to be. It's as simple as that. You and I have been created by God and God has a purpose for us. And God has uniquely designed us to do specific things in this world for him. Are we going to live out God's purpose and calling on our lives? Or are we going to allow ourselves, because of the fall and the sinful nature that we have to live with, are we going to allow that to corrupt us and then allow us to become a lesser version of the person we were created to be? We see this in in life all the time. You have relatives that you say, if this person could just get their life straightened out, they have so much to offer. If this person could just handle this area, if they could overcome this addiction, if they would just let up on this personality trait, if they would just change a little bit, they would have a better relationship. They would have we we talk about that all the time. We can see it, how God has created a person with such unique giftedness and how that person allows themselves in many ways to be corrupted by sin and become a lesser version of who they were created to be. Every positive attribute can be corrupted by sin. Everyone in our lives, every positive attribute can be corrupted and lead you and those around you into a life of sorrow and pain and failure, which leads then to suffering. 
See, this is where we're going with this. People ask that question. What is wrong with the world? Why is there suffering in the world? What's wrong with the world? Dear sir, I am. I am. Many times we don't want to see that. We don't want to recognize. We don't want to acknowledge that. We want to look around us and point the finger everywhere else but at ourselves. But God has called us to do so much more than that. God has called us to be so much more than that. Every attribute, every positive attribute can, can be corrupted. We see that in the phrase, his greatest strength can also be his what? Right. Her greatest strength can also be her greatest weakness. My greatest strength is also my greatest I see that in myself. I, I can easily see that in myself. There are things that I can do that people are like, wow, I, how do you do that? How can you think that way? How do you? But at the same time, when I'm pulled, I, my greatest weakness becomes my, my, my greatest strength becomes my greatest weakness. And it's not always just in a you're doing something terribly sinful. It's just that you allow that to just swing and you become a, a lesser version of the person you were created to be when you allow that personality trait to not live, out, live itself out in a positive way, but sometimes live itself out in a negative way. So why, why does that happen? Because we are marred by an attitude called sin. And sin corrupts. And our new nature is constantly battling with our old nature. When we come to know Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But we, so that, so that, new, that new found freedom is there. That relationship with Christ is there. That new creation is there. But what's there along with it is that old nature still battling with our new nature. We are trying to conform to the image of Jesus Christ, and the enemy is constantly trying to keep us where we were and drag us down and get us off the path. Paul said it really great in Romans chapter 7, in verse 15. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. You read that whole passage sometimes, and it's like a, a, it's like a tongue twister, if you will. But you know exactly what he's talking about. Why do I continue to do the things I don't want to do? Why can't I overcome this, this personality flaw? Why can't I overcome this addiction? Why can't I overcome this weakness? You have, this, you have the new nature inside wanting to be the person that God has created you to be. You can see it. Other people can see it. But somehow the struggle is so intense sometimes that, you're, that you, you, you fall back into these patterns. You fall back into these difficulties. So where does this trouble start? And, 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 and how, how can we avoid falling prey to it? Well, it starts where really everything starts, at the beginning. It starts at the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, we find two people who are deeply in love with God. They are deeply in love with God. They, 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 they have this incredible life. They live in the Garden of Eden. They knew what to expect from God, and they knew what God expected from them. They knew, and their lives were just perfect. But then they heard a voice, a voice that is all too familiar to every single one of us, a voice that speaks to our hearts, that speaks to us and says, and it comes in different forms, but it's pretty much the same. Did God really say, did God really say, 
the evil one said to Adam and Eve, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That voice of those lies and that doubt begin to creep in. And I use the word lies very specifically here too, because God never even said that. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He didn't say from any tree, did he? But see, there's a constant pouring out of just a little, a little lie, a little lie, a little lie. And it creates doubt. And he created doubt. And see, that, that, that doubt and that, that confusion, that, that temptation begins to, to well up in our hearts, to well up in our minds and begins to, to get us to, to down a road. We, Adam and Eve began to, to question whether God's words were true. Did God really say and that happens in our own lives right now. I mean, we see it everywhere around us. Even, you know, you'll be watching, like I said a couple weeks ago, you watch television sometimes and they'll say the real, the real story of the Bible, the real story about Jesus, the real story about the disciples, the real story. Like they know the real story. Somehow all the evidence is not true, but they came up with, they just found out the real story of. And what does that do? Satan comes and starts you, you, even you, people don't even like to watch it because they're so concerned that they're going to say something. Remember, you know, Drew was talking about that last week. Someone's going to find something and her, oh, it's, it's all going to fall apart. It's not going to happen. It's that constant. Did God really say? Did God really say? And then doubt begins and then confusion begins and then temptation begins. And then you begin to question if what God is saying is true. That ta- that temptation And that doubt leads us into sin. Now, they may not have planned it all out in their minds, but it began to lead them down a path. It started to lead them down a path, a thought process, if you will, down a path. The Bible tells us when they started going down that path, they obviously responded in sin. And so the the first thing that happened, they felt shame. Talk about feeling shame. Interesting. And you'll see this in your own life once again. Satan uses shame, right? He uses shame to, 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 to convince us that God does not love us anymore and God wants nothing to do with us, right? I think, I think we've all felt that before. You fall into something, you feel really bad about it, you feel ashamed, and then the enemy comes along and says, God does not love you. How could God love you? How could God possibly love you? That song is perfect. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. That is the truth. I'm covered with the blood of Christ. That is the truth. All I need to do is ask for forgiveness and I will be forgiven. That is the truth. But Satan comes along and says, how could God love you? Look what you've done. God is not doesn't love you anymore. And God is not going to. He wants nothing to do with you. And, and so the Bible says that they went and they hid themselves. Ever been there? Ever been there? You feel like, you know what, because of the choices that I have made, God is no longer able to use me. God is no longer able to 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 use me in the same way. Even I'm somehow corrupted to the point where I can come and sit in church, but I can't be used in any other way. And that is a lie that permeates our lives. And then Adam and Eve teach us once they feel that shame and once they begin to hide They teach us what not to do. This is important, okay? I'm going to give you two examples here. What to do and what not to do. Adam and Eve, in their transition here, teach us what not to do. They start to play the blame game. 
They begin to play the blame game. Instead of self-reflection, that's what we're talking about. Instead of self-reflection and ownership, you're asked the question. You've done something. You're asked the question. Instead of self-reflection and ownership, Eve does this in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 13. She says, she says this, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Right. So, of course, her husband, he's not going to do the same thing because he's going to lead her spiritually. Right. Now, Adam basically doubles down on the whole argument on on her whole statement. And in Genesis chapter three and verse 12, he says the woman and look at the word, the woman that you put here with me. The woman. Right. That you put here with me, gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Right. Don't you see this in people today? You see this when people come to you and say, well, if there's a God, why are there children starving? Like they're pointing. Why are there children starving in Africa? Right. Hey, what, what have you given any money to the children's fund in Africa? Well, no, that's not the point. Why are those children? If there's a loving God, if God is so loving. Why are children starving in Africa? Have you ever been to Africa? Did you, have you ever helped in any way? Do you sponsor a child? Do you do anything to help? No, but you're all worked up about it. Ooh. Let's not do that. It's, it's that person's fault. It's God's fault. Point the finger anywhere else but yourself. See, it doesn't matter if it's Adam and Eve or you and me. The pattern is the same. Temptation. And then you have doubt. Right. And then you have shame and then you have hiding from that shame and then you have the the finger pointing and that ultimately leads to suffering. Why is there suffering in the world? It's a. Finger pointing. I was tempted. I go down finger pointing. See, when it comes to apologetics, when we look at the, the when we look at Genesis, we love to debate evolution and creation, which I love to do. It's fantastic. I love it. It's not wrong. It's wonderful. But, but you should never miss the deeper lessons that we can learn from this text. There's so many other, deep, there's so many other lessons that we can learn about ourselves and, and how we can change. See, part of life, listen, this is so important because I'd love to, I wish I could get up here and say some magical stuff that would just, would just you know, change per, or my personality, change your personality or change this or change your, your flaws or change your, your addiction habits or change whatever. But that, that doesn't come from just a snap of the fingers or a wave of the magic wand or someone just go for it, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of thing. It takes, it takes something else. And this is what I'm trying to teach you this morning. This is what I'm trying to help you understand this morning. It's not, it's not always easy to hear. It doesn't tickle people's ears. And, you know, sometimes we don't all walk out, walk out of church feeling so good. You should feel so good because of that song we talked at the end. You are a child of God. And if you, if you fulfill what God is calling us to do even here, if you learn this morning what we're trying to teach here this morning, this will impact your life in such a profound way. See, part of life is understanding yourself. Understanding who you are and then being honest with yourself. Most people in this culture do. They have lost the ability to do this. Okay, 
First, understand yourself, then be honest with yourself, and then take ownership of your choices. Taking ownership of your choices. I'll give you a great example of that does not happen and how people point the finger. You go out and do something and you feel really bad about, you know, you come, oh boy, I can't believe you get caught or whatever. And you say, well, you know, I, I got drunk and so I did this and that. I got drunk, so I went out and did this and that. And I, I, I stopped people from saying that. I, I sit, when I sit down with people, I basically say, no, let's, let's be honest. I drank so that I could go out and do this. There's a big difference. So what we want to do is they want to... We want to point to the whatever it is. We want to point to those things and say, I did this because I got high. I did this because I got drunk. I did this because, and the reality is, you wanted to do something, so you chose to do something, so it'd be easier for you to do it. Now, that isn't very nice to sometimes make make you feel so great, but you know what? 95% of the people I talk to and I say that to, they say, you know what? You're absolutely right. I didn't get drunk and lose my mind and go out and do this. I kind of wanted to do it in the first place. It was kind of the back of my mind, and I, I thought, and then if I get drunk, I have something to point at. I can point the finger at some of my friends, and I was drunk, and my friends wanted to, and so I, and the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do anything. He can tempt you cause doubt and confusion in your mind. But if Jeff Greer chooses to go out and do something, the devil didn't make me do it. I did it. I chose to do that. I need to take ownership of my actions. I need to be responsible. I need to understand who I am. And I need to, and I need to be honest with who I am. The devil didn't make me do it. Adam and Eve's story is our story. It's our story. When someone asks you, what's wrong with your family? The person said, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with your family? What's wrong with your school? What's, what's wrong with your business? What's, what's wrong with your, your church? What's wrong with your marriage? Dear sir, I am. Now, I'm not saying you're totally responsible for everything that goes on all around you and you're to blame for all the problems. That's, you know that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's good sometimes when, people ask, when someone asks you a question to step back. And instead of pointing the finger at everyone else and everything else and every other circumstance, say, you know what? I'm part of the problem. I'm part of the problem. I cause some of the pain. I cause some of the confusion. We should answer like G.K. Chesterton did. Dear sir, I am. I am. See, we need to take ownership of our own choices so that we can learn from our mistakes and learn from our failures. How else are we going to grow? If you don't do what I am, what the Bible, what the word of God is encouraging you to do this morning, if you don't do this, you will not grow. You will not grow. I cannot grow if I blame you for everything in my life. I, I, I have personality glitches and everything else. And, and I do some things sometimes that drive people absolutely nuts. And I could sit around and go, well, that's your problem. Just change. If you just change, I'd be better off. Just accept. That's why I had one relative who used to say, just God made me this way. You have to accept me the way God made me. <laughs> no, no, I don't. Because God didn't make you that way. God, you made you this way. And you've allowed sin to corrupt your life and become a lesser version of who you were created to be. Therein lies the truth. 
So stop blaming everyone saying, don't blame Adam, don't blame God for your personality flaws and things that you need to change. I'm the first one to raise my hand. I'm not going to blame, I can't blame God for something that needs to change in my life. What is the problem? I am. So we find in Adam and Eve what not to do, but there's another story, and I've shared this story with you before, but it's, it really, it best illustrates, it really illustrates how we should respond when confronted with the reality of who we are. Okay? And it, again, you're not a terrible, no good, you know, you all, I'm not, I'm not hellfire and brimstoning you this morning. I'm saying you have to look into your own life as a mom or a dad or a child or, or a aunt or uncle or a husband or a wife or a worker or a boss and look and say, hey, there's some things I need to work on in my life if I really want to impact the people around me and I really want to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So Adam and Eve teach us one way, but here's another story that teaches us something totally different. David is walking on the rooftop and he looks down and he sees Bathsheba bathing up there and he looks over and he goes oh i'm the king i want that so he goes and gets bathsheba and commits adultery and then you know gets caught up and i won't get into the whole story but ends up uh, having uriah the hittite killed her husband killed because of his sin and then in second samuel chapter 12 verses 1 through 7 uh, the lord said uh, sent nathan to david when he came to him he said there were two men in a certain town one was rich and one was poor The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, it drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb from, that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a, he did such a thing and had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Here we go. Adam and Eve, not too well. David, self-reflection time. And David said unto the Lord, he didn't, okay. David said unto the Lord, People should lock their doors to their roofs from now on. Edict, I am the king, I'm passing an edict. That the, It's the guy who's building, number one, it's a little too tall, almost as tall as mine. He's got to lower it, first off. Let's just cut the whole thing, start over again. He can't, he's got to lock the door. He can't let women get up on the roof. And for goodness sakes, don't we have laws? We, let's start passing some laws that women cannot bathe on rooftops. Therein lies the problem. That's not what he did, right? It's not what he did. Ben Franklin wrote, He that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. I love that. In verse 13, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's his response. I have sinned against the Lord. And then the first scripture that I ever memorized 
David, after he's confronted with Nathan for what he's done with Bathsheba, he writes Psalm 51, and here's what he writes. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know that my transgressions and my sins are always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be proved right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you did you desire faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from all of my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore for to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Look at the difference in the response. Adam, the woman you put here with me. And David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And that, my friends, is why David is called a man after God's own heart. You wonder sometimes, how could the Bible call David a man after God's own heart? He committed adultery, killed the guys, you know, sent him to the front lines and had him killed. And how is it? Because when he was confronted with his sin, he didn't make excuses. He made amends. When he was confronted with his sin, when it was time for self-reflection, to be honest about what he had done, to understand who he was, he wrote Psalm 51. He responded with, have mercy on me, O God. And that is why David is called a man after God's own heart. If we want to impact the lives of the people around us, if we want to fulfill the purpose for which God has created us, we need to have that kind of attitude. Every single one of us. I don't know. You know, people say to me, boy, you know, you, that, that message, it really hit home. It sounded like you were talking right to me. I think part of the reason that I feel like it sounds like I'm talking right to you is because obviously the Holy Spirit is talking to you, but I kind of think he talks to me first. These things, I don't make these things, <laughs> these things up. These come from my own life too. And I look at my own life and say, wait a second, how can you be blaming that person, this person? They don't owe you anything. Maybe it's you. Maybe I need to step back. And, and that's, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be able to reflect on our own lives He wants us to be able to reflect and and to understand that sometimes the problem isn't here, it's here. It's here. When your parents tell you that you need to change your attitude, your attitude is really just off the reservation or your behavior or whatever else, instead instead of making excuses, take ownership. Learn, this is the, for the high school, junior high, younger, this is the greatest opportunity you'll ever have to learn some of these lessons. When your parents point out that you have the wrong attitude and they point out your behavioral issues, things you're doing that are wrong, instead of, instead of having all, making up all the excuses, getting all defensive about it, why not just look at your own, sit in your, in your room, ask God, where am I wrong? And then work on those areas where you believe that you're wrong, where, you, where the Holy Spirit convicts you. 
This is the greatest opportunity for you to do that. Parents, when your child points out some, some fault or, you know, some, some where you're falling short. How's that? When, where you're falling short. The Bible says do not exasperate your children. So there are times when we exasperate them where we are falling short in our, be, in our parental skills. When they point that out, instead of just telling them where they're wrong or telling them that you live under my roof and it's my rules or I, because I said so, which doesn't work when they get older. So quit doing that. You have to explain things to them. But instead of getting defensive and all of that, why not? Why not just take that to heart? And maybe there's some things that are valid and that we need to work on. Why not? Why not look at our faults and admit our faults and then try to adjust and change? Nothing. There's nothing wrong with saying I'm sorry or that I was wrong or, you know what, I'm going to work on that in my life in front of your kids. You don't drop down. You raised you are raised up just so you know. Because they already know that you're not perfect. Shock of all shocks. And when you are honest with them and say, you know what, that's something I've been working on my whole life. I'll continue to work on it. And I'll try not to I'll try not to let that interfere with our relationship. When your wife or your husband, your spouse points out a, points out a weakness in your life. Instead of instead of attacking them personally, maybe you need to evaluate the words that they have spoken. Are the words that that person said true about you? Are they true? If they're true, maybe you need to work on that. But instead of getting defensive and just attacking the person and saying something mean-spirited to them because they said something to you, how about just taking a step back and asking God, God, are those words that were spoken to me true? See, we need to step back and ask God on a regular basis, where am I wrong? Where am I wrong? Where am I wrong? You want to avoid confrontation? You want to, you want to overcome? Well, you want to get out of an argument? Not get out of You want to resolve an argument? When you're in an argument with someone, if you can, take a step back, go into a personal spot, you know, space, your own space, and ask God, God, show me where I'm wrong in this argument. Show me where I'm wrong. You may be only 20% wrong in the argument, but maybe you started it. And when you go back and say to the person, you know what, I just I spent some time in prayer and I'll take a deep breath because it's going to be hard because the person might still be upset and, and say, I, I, I want to apologize for saying that to you in the first place. I was tired. I, I, I was thoughtless. and I just said that. And that really got the conversation going. So I want to apologize for that. Most of the time, a rational person is going to maybe take a couple deep breaths and compose themselves and say, you know, I shouldn't have said that to you as well. I apologize as well. But you have to ask God, where am I wrong? See, all of us need to ask ourselves, what are, listen, and this is shock of all shocks. Raise your hand if you're perfect. <laughs> right. Other than you, you were not exactly. No, um, none of us are perfect, right? So what we need to do is ask ourselves, what are my personality flaws? Please listen to me for a second. Ask yourself, because people say, well, what is wrong with the world? Why is there suffering? What are your personality flaws? What are areas of your life that you need to work on? All the people who love you the most tell you. The people who don't love you so much will just say, oh, they're idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. They do know what they're talking about, and you know it. What are your personality flaws? What are, what are, what are your bad habits? What are some bad habits that you need to change? What are your hang-ups? What are your addictions? What are, what are those things? And then you, you, need to, you, need to help, you need to ask God to help you overcome them. God, help me overcome those things. Sometimes we just need to swallow our pride and accept that we're wrong, that we're doing it wrong, that we're the ones at fault. We just need to swallow our pride and recognize that. 
I mean, it makes, it, listen, that doesn't mean you're giving up. It means you're growing up. When you're in a conversation and you have to admit you're wrong, that doesn't mean you're, I'm not going to give it. It doesn't mean giving up. It means growing up. It means maturing in Christ. And you set the example for everyone around you to say it's okay to say you're sorry. It's okay to say that you were wrong. Let me close with this quote from John Maxwell. He said, a man must be big enough, a man, I'll say a man or woman must be big enough to admit their mistakes, smart enough to profit from them, and strong enough to correct them. But you can never correct, you can never grow, unless you truly come to the realization that I am part of the problem. I'm the one who causes a lot of suffering sometimes. I'm the one who causes conflict. It's my personality. It's my behavior. It's my attitude that brings this on much, much of the time. Not all the time, but much of the time. You can't control someone else's behavior and their attitude, but you can control your own. And you can control how you respond. All of these things God will help us work on if we admit first that we have these kinds of flaws and these kinds of failures in our lives. So I want to give you an opportunity as we close here. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect, to to some self-reflection. Bow your heads with me. Just bow your heads with me. I just want to give you a chance for self-reflection. And as we we take communion, I I want you to think about what Christ has done in your life. Think about what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Think about what he sacrificed. Think about the death that he suffered on your behalf. Then think about how you should live for him. The sacrifices that you can make by overcoming the challenges that you face in your life with your personality flaws, with your your hang-ups and your habits and all these things that cause you to somehow, sometimes be the responsible party in some of the suffering that's in the world. It's okay for us to admit that because the great thing about being a believer in Jesus Christ and Lord, you, you teach us this, is that we don't have to stay who we are. We can be new people. We can be a new creation day in and day out. God, help us to become different people a year from now than we are right now as we reflect on our own lives. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to pray again, and then you don't have to wait for anybody else. You can just go up, go to the back, Take the bread and take the cup. You can sit back down. You can come and kneel up here, whatever you feel led of the Spirit to do. You don't have to wait for anybody else to take of the bread and of the cup. But as you're, as you're praying, think about, remember what Jesus Christ has done for you, what he did for all of us. And then think about how you can live a life that is worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ and how you can make changes in your own life. Be honest with yourself. Be honest. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, thank you for... This bread, 
which symbolizes your body, which was given for us, sacrificed for us, that we could be called a child of God, that we could be your child, not just your creation, but your child. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made. And I pray that we would offer up our bodies as living sacrifices. Change us so we can be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. May that be our spiritual act of worship even this morning. Father, thank you for this cup and this blood that represents the sacrifice that you made, the shedding of blood for us, that we would be covered, that our sin would be covered. And that we can enter into the Holy of Holies and have a personal relationship with the living God. And that when we make mistakes and when we fall short, we can ask forgiveness in Jesus' name and we are forgiven because God sees his son when he sees us. Thank you for that blood that covers us and all of our sin and all of our failures and all of our faults and all of our mistakes and all our personality flaws and all of our struggles, Lord God. It covers it all. Help us. Help us, Lord God, through the power of your resurrection to overcome these struggles that we face every single day in our lives. Help us become more like your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Father, we are grateful to be in your presence this morning. God, may we recognize that we are your children, that we have been saved by grace, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, that we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and that we desire more than anything else to become like our Lord and Savior. God, help us to reflect on our own lives not to focus on anyone else, but to reflect on our own lives and how we can become more like you, that we would be holy in your sight, that we would be changed. And through the change that we see in our own lives, that we bring about change in the lives of the people around us. And even in a small way, that we relieve some of the struggle and the suffering in our world because of you working through us We praise you for that. We give you the glory. We give you the praise in advance of what you're going to do in our lives as we leave this place. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a great, great day.